Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fabulous Tuesdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I love you, YouTube. You are my favorites right now. Now, maybe Elon Musk is going to change the way that video streams on Twitter, and you're going to have a challenge. But right now, you are my favorite media platform because YouTube has now, uh, OutKick has now gone over 800,000 subscribers on YouTube. And I love all your comments. I love the fact that you guys are sharing our videos so widely. You are my favorite social media company out there. And all of the commenters on YouTube, click like and subscribe below. Let's continue this quest for a million I have already requested that I get the play button. Evidently, my kids uh, are super impressed at the idea that you get a play button, uh, like a plaque when you hit a million subscribers. I've already requested that I be given that uh, because they are so excited. Uh, They'd be so impressed by dad if dad was able to get to a million YouTube subscribers because they spend all their time there. So help me impress my kids uh, by clicking like and subscribe on uh, YouTube. And thank you to the 800,000 plus of you who have already done that. Let's continue the march to a million. Okay, this is a big story. Sometimes, it's not going to shock you, uh, on a daily basis, we talk about stories that aren't that big in the grand scheme of things. Uh, This is a big story, and I think it's a representative example of something much larger. Let me tell you roughly what I'm talking about. Some of you will remember Matt Areza from San Diego State. He's known as the punt god, incredible punter, was drafted and brought in as the punter of the future by the Buffalo Bills. Um, But on August the 27th, two days after a civil lawsuit was filed accusing him of sexual assault, the Buffalo Bills released Matt Areza from their team and uh, uh, based on the allegations that were put forward in this civil complaint. Among the allegations that Areza facilitated a gang rape of a 17-year-old, that they ripped out all of her earrings, that this was a violent, physical, predatory sexual assault. The allegations in the civil complaint received monumental and massive level media attention such that the Buffalo Bills believed they were compelled to drop Matt Areza from their team. You can go look him up and look up what a mob there was on social media demanding that Matt Areza be dropped based on the allegations that were made in this civil lawsuit. So, yesterday afternoon, I want to give him credit because this was his work, and you may have just heard him on our radio show. Dan Wetzel, a friend of mine at Yahoo Sports, reviewed all of the public testimony surrounding the investigation by the San Diego Police Department um, and wrote an article for it at Yahoo Sports. Dan also just came on Clay and Buck and talked about that article. I shared it yesterday. Based on the San Diego Police Department investigation of this woman's claim, 
We now know that virtually everything she said was a lie. She lied about her age, according to the investigation, snuck into a college party, said she was 18, is on video telling everybody that she was 18. She claims that she was gang raped. There are actually videos of her bragging about sleeping with a variety of different guys and intending to do so. Uh, She also alleged that Areza was responsible for a gang rape that she was involved in. Areza, according to an investigation by, again, the San Diego Police Department, had already left the party roughly an hour before this incident occurred. And again, the San Diego Police Department determined that it wasn't a gang rape at all, that it was a consensual sexual encounter, but that Areza was not even there at all for this incident. So, the evidence clearly distributed and, uh, and marshaled by the San Diego Police Department demonstrates that Matt Areza not just isn't guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of any crime, he didn't commit a crime at all. He engaged in a consensual sexual encounter with this girl who lied about her age, then left the party, did nothing wrong at all, nothing illegal. He lost his job. She lied. And now sitting here nearly, whatever it is, nine months after he lost his job, he's lost a year of income in the NFL. He's had his name dragged through the mud And now the evidence develops that he had done nothing wrong and that this alleged sexual assault victim was, in reality, based on the evidence the San Diego Police Department has released, a liar. Okay, so let's start here. Based on all this evidence, which is now not in dispute, Matt Areza is innocent of any wrongdoing. He is not not guilty because not guilty can sometimes mean We didn't find you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, but you might still have done it. He 100% is innocent, okay? Credit to the San Diego Police Department for all of their investigation. This investigation evidently took like 10 months. They talked to dozens of people. Uh, They reviewed lots of footage. All, it's a voluminous investigation to prove that no crime occurred here, okay? So what happens now? Matt Areza can never get back the year that he was not allowed to earn a living in the NFL based on a false accusation. He also, by and large, cannot get back his good name because at least as I speak to you right now, the same media that led the charge that demanded that the Bills release him has given a scintilla of the evidence of his innocence that they gave to the accusations of his criminality, okay? What's the recourse? I'm fired up about this because I've been on this for years now. The whole Brett Kavanaugh case, hashtag believe all women, was a complete repudiation of our justice system. And I've been saying this for years, this is nothing new, but we should not believe all women or believe all men, or believe all people of a certain race. People lie. Their identity is not the uh, validity of their claim. And this is important. 
There's a reason why Lady Justice is blind. I believe that every state in America should pass a law that if you accuse someone of rape, and by the way, this could be a man or a woman because there are certainly uh, uh, homosexual relationships as well, right? If you accuse someone of rape and you try to see them charged with rape and put behind bars, and it is 100% proven that your accusations are false, it's a high bar, you should be charged with a crime. And I don't mean some minor misdemeanor like malicious prosecution or filing a false complaint. I mean you should face in prison the same number of years for filing a false rape claim as someone who is accused of rape would face if they were convicted. Let me explain. Let's say the penalty for rape is five years in prison. If you are proven to 100% have lied in your accusations of sexual assault, you should face five years in prison and be prosecuted for lying as a crime. Now, this is important. I haven't heard anybody really argue this. I think it is important. Okay? Several reasons. One, there should be consequences for lying to police and trying to get someone put behind bars for a crime they did not commit. Two, when you lie, particularly if you are a woman who is caught in a lie, you actually make it harder for true rape victims because people are less inclined to believe when they see Stories like these that are 100% made up. So actually, you are doing a disservice to true victims of rape when you lie and there should be consequences. Three, I'm saying when it can be proven 100% that you lied, right? It's hard to prove something is 100% not true. There are a lot of cases of alleged sexual assault where it's he said, she said where really we don't know because there were only two people in that room. That would not apply here, right? Because it's impossible very often in cases such as those to know exactly what happened. I'm talking about a case like Areza here where 100% the San Diego Police Department investigates and the allegations that you made, gang rape, all your earrings getting pulled out, all this stuff, 100% could not have happened. Also, by the way, you lied about your age, which I think is a big story here as well, because a big part of this story was, oh, is a 17-year-old girl gang raped? Actually, she wasn't gang raped. She said she was 18, uh, snuck into the party, engaged in consensual sex, and then tried to get these guys put behind bars, potentially for decades. And we don't even know her name. Because... Under rape shield laws, the man who is accused is immediately dragged through all the mud. Nothing at all is said about the woman. Another idea I have. How about until someone is convicted of rape, we don't know their name either? It's an interesting question, right? If the accuser is not uh, required to use her name for rape shield law purposes because we don't want her 
to be unwilling to bring charges because accusing someone of rape can be embarrassing, can be humiliating to a woman, which I understand. How about the fact that it's kind of embarrassing and humiliating to be a man who is accused of rape and your name immediately is on the front page of every newspaper and every newscast if you are remotely famous? How about that in the grand scheme of things? Okay? These all seem like eminently reasonable perspectives that we could take from the Matt Areza trial. He's innocent. He's having trouble getting his good name back. Many people are not going to cover it at all. This is, I believe, fairly significant. By the way, as the news story is going on here, uh, Donald Trump, liable for sexual abuse and defamation, uh, ordered to pay $5 million in damages. Uh, so I'm sure you'll hear a lot about this story, um, and I presume whether he appeals or not or whether Trump will pay $5 million. Two weeks civil trial, Trump did not show up, said it was a political charade. Maybe Tara Reid... Uh, will now sue Joe Biden too, and we'll see how exactly that all uh, goes down. But by and large, I don't think this verdict is going to have any kind of impact on Trump uh, because people already made up their mind about Trump as it proclaims as it pertains to sex-related issues years and years ago. But I wanted to get you with that because that verdict just came down. But again, the Matt Areza case here, he could file a civil complaint, you know, like we just saw in the Trump case, and he could try to sue civilly for damages, this woman, but what's the payout? She probably doesn't have that many assets. It prolongs the legal proceeding and process, keeps him from being able to make a living. Again, what is the value here? And I would just say this. Allegations of sexual assault are just that, right? very often unproven, untrue, as we saw with the Brett Kavanaugh case. Now, some of you are going to say, well, what about Deshaun Watson? I do think if 30 different women accuse you of sexual assault, you have to give a different degree of weight to that than you would one. But I always said from the get-go, Deshaun Watson deserves his day in court as well. So I want you to just think about this And I want you to just kind of pay attention in your own media universe. How much attention does Matt Areza being 100% innocent receive compared to the attention that he received from being accused? And remember, he's never going to make back the money that he would have made playing football last year. He's never going to be able to unring the bell of sexual assault because many people will never see this second story. Important, significant story. Hey, Clay Travis here. Hope you guys are enjoying OutKick. The show will have more coming back next. Hunter Biden. (laughs) Speaking of uh, all sorts of sex-related issues, in an interview yesterday with MSNBC, I guess it was over the weekend, Joe Biden said of Hunter Biden, he's, quote, done nothing wrong. Done nothing wrong. He didn't say he'd done nothing illegal. He said he's done nothing wrong. I've looked through the Hunter Biden laptop. At a minimum, here are some of the things that Hunter Biden has done. 
smoked crack, smoked crack with hookers, paid millions of dollars for sex from women all over the country, uh, failed to pay millions of dollars in taxes, behaved in a thoroughly reprobate fashion with many of the members of his family saying awful things in text uh, and video and phone calls with all of them. That's just engaged in uh, work for Ukrainian and Chinese business interests that do not support the United States. All of that, all of that, at a minimum, I would submit are some things that he's done wrong, okay? Joe Biden can defend Hunter from criminal misconduct allegations, even though failing to pay millions of dollars in tax, which he did, is quite simply, clearly illegal. But when you say that your son has done nothing wrong, you aren't actually being honest, and arguably, you are enabling him to, in some way, continue his misbehavior. I wonder on some level, and I talked about this earlier in the day, given that Title 42 is being replaced at midnight on Thursday going into Friday morning, given that the Washington Post came out, over 60% of people said Biden didn't have the mental or the physical ability to be president, given that Joe Biden had a 36% approval rating, the lowest approval rating at this point in the presidency, first term, for any president in the history of the Washington Post poll going all the way back to Harry Truman. Given that all that is going on and that there is the possibility of a looming charge coming for for, uh, this situation for Hunter Biden, Are we setting the tables for a relief pitcher to come in for the Democrats in 2024? Because I want to tell you on the timing, next year, a new nominee that is, by the way, over 32,000 of you voted, roughly 32,000 of you voted, 5149, you thought Joe Biden would be the nominee for Democrats in 2024. 5149, nearly 50-50. Given all these stories, Washington Post, Worst president ratings, approval ratings of all time in their poll. Uh, Over 60% say he's not physically or mentally capable of being president. The border about to become an unmitigated disaster. Hunter Biden charges looming in a massive way. Could it be time to go to the relief pitcher? Because remember, the number one calling card that Joe Biden has been selling is he's uniquely able to beat Trump. But by the way, He's down six or seven points to Trump in the Washington Post poll. Now, some of you don't trust polling. I understand that. But understand that Trump never led Joe Biden in any Washington Post poll associated with 2020. It never occurred. So what is going on now and how does all of this factor in? I think they're setting the table for a potentially repla- potential replacement, i.e. an actual primary race. Because if Biden steps down next year, after he's already the nominee, Kamala Harris goes in, and I think Trump or DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whoever the nominee was, I think all of them would beat Kamala Harris soundly. 
we would see the worst beating since 1984, uh, since Reagan beat Mondale in 1984. So my question for all of you, if Joe Biden is actually losing to Trump, is the Democrat firewall supporting Joe Biden going to crumble in a hurry? Because remember, he's going to be 82 next year. And his overall ability, his cognition, his physical ability is not going to get better over the next 18 months or, God forbid, over the next uh, four years, five and a half years. It's actually going to get far worse. Unlike Fetterman, who they could sell the idea of, oh, at least John Fetterman's going to get better. He's going to recover from his stroke. Joe Biden's not recovering from his mental and physical impairments. Things are only going to get worse. So I just want all of you to think about this. How much of a mess is this right now? And is there the possibility, given the border disaster, the Washington Post poll, and Hunter, that that triumvirate of disaster could all align and start to put pressure on Biden to force him out? Remember also RFK Jr. showing up at 19% in the polls That is an indictment of Joe Biden as well. Uh, Data continues to come out. Bud Light down 20% in April uh, beer sales. Uh, Some of you out there are like, you're trying to cancel Bud Light. You're the real cancel culture. No, no. Look, here's the reality. I am in favor of people supporting brands that support them. In other words, if you like me, I hope you'll buy my book. If you don't like me, New book's coming out August 8th, I believe it is. If you don't like me, I respect that. Buy somebody else's book. If you like OutKick, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you don't like OutKick, go subscribe to someone else's YouTube channel. That's not cancel culture. I'm not trying to cancel my book. I'm not trying to cancel uh, our YouTube channel. I'm not trying to cancel OutKick. That would make no sense. I'm telling you, if you like something and what they stand for, support it. And if you don't, don't. That's different than telling someone, I don't like your opinion. You don't deserve to have a job anymore. Bud Light, what is going on here is people who like Bud Light are saying, you insulted me with your position, Bud Light. Not only with your ridiculous advertising with a chick with a dick, but also because you said Bud Light's brand was too fratty and there was an out-of-taste humor associated with it. Well, guess what? That's what appeals to a lot of people about Bud Light. And over the weekend, we had an event out here, Westfest, awesome uh, music event. And I just simply pointed out that no one is getting Bud Light voluntarily out of the cooler of beer that was in front of me. Anybody could come and take whatever beer they wanted in this section of the party. And most people, I didn't see a person drinking a Bud Light the whole night. People overwhelmingly are rejecting Bud Light's Light's offering and choosing another beer. That's what the marketplace is. You make poor choices in reaching out to your consumer and they don't support you anymore, which is how Bud Light has lost 21% overall in April. It's not cancel culture. 
It's choose brands that reflect your values and support them. It's called the marketplace of ideas. It's not difficult. And that ties in a little bit here with my Bob Huggins take. Uh, I saw West Virginia put out a statement yesterday afternoon. Bob Huggins went on in Cincinnati and insulted fans of Xavier, calling them Catholic gay slurs. Okay. Um, and, uh, and he did it a couple times on an interview. And immediately people were like, oh my God, you have to fire Bob Huggins. I disagree, right? Bob Huggins apologized. I am anti-firing anybody pretty much for anything that they say, okay? That they say. Let me explain why. And I've been on this, long-time viewers, long-time listeners, long-time readers of OutKick will know that I've been on this for a long time. Um, we wildly in this country over-punish words and under-punish actions. Let me give you an example. Many people out there right now are saying of Bob Huggins, we have to fire him. He represents West Virginia University. How dare he use a gay slur in a radio interview? He can no longer coach our basketball team. Okay? Would those same people be making the same argument if Bob Huggins had gotten a DUI? If Bob Huggins had gotten super drunk, gotten behind the wheel, and driven and been pulled over, maybe even hit something, hit another vehicle, would those same people be demanding that Bob Huggins be fired? Probably not. Bob Huggins come out, I'm just using an example, say, hey, I've had alcohol issues for a while. I apologize. I shouldn't have behaved in this manner. I feel awful. Why would it be better for Bob Huggins to have gotten a DUI than it was for him to say a gay slur on a radio interview. Why would we punish words more severely for a basketball coach of West Virginia than we would actions? He could have killed someone driving drunk and most people would say, yeah, he deserves another chance. Not that big of a deal if he gets a DUI. Bob Huggins might even be able, by the way, I don't know Bob Huggins' history. Maybe he's had a DUI before. I don't know. He might be able to get multiple DUIs. Nobody would really care. Still able to coach at West Virginia. If you had to choose, does that make sense? If you had to choose between your kid using a gay slur or your kid getting drunk and getting behind the wheel of a car, Would anybody say, yeah, the gay slur is way worse? Of course not. All of you would be like, yeah, I'm not happy, but we'll say the gay slur, and I'd rather him not get behind the car and maybe kill somebody driving drunk. Why do we punish words way more than actions? And why, by the way, do we grab something on a radio show and then share it with an audience hadn't heard it before and say, oh my God, he's really got to go now, right? How many people were listening live in Cincinnati, heard that interview and were like, this guy can no longer coach basketball? And by the way, can we mention, he coaches basketball. It's not like he's the friggin' governor. It's not like he's a senator. It's not like we're going to sit down with him and have him explain why exactly 
the debt ceiling is a huge matter that we all have to contemplate very seriously and soberly. He coaches basketball in West Virginia, a state that voted for uh, Donald Trump by 39 points. What do you think will anger the people in West Virginia more? A gay slur directed at a former college basketball rival, which I'll get back to in a moment, or firing somebody for a gay slur directed at a former college basketball rival. And can we point out where this conversation came from? It was about the University of Cincinnati versus Xavier, one of the great city basketball rivals in the entire country. And he was prompted because they were throwing, the Xavier students were, dildos on the court during the game. And Bob Huggins said they must be a bunch of Christian gay slurs because maybe they were jealous that they didn't have their own penis, basically. I think I'm paraphrasing. it. Why would that be fireable? I just, uh, like, who cares? I feel like we need to get back to a who cares mantra in this country. Phyllis in accounting went on Facebook and she's really fired up about what our border policies are and there's no way that she can still be affiliated with the Coca-Cola company. Why? Where did this idea that larger institutions have to agree with everything their employees say come from? I just think it's totally a BS rationale. My wife doesn't agree with a huge percentage of things that I say. Chances are probably the case if you're married, that's true. I don't even speak for my own house. I do this show from the house. Say nothing of me speaking for Fox or OutKick. I only speak for this floor of the house that I'm in right now. Because if my wife were up here right now on this floor, she wouldn't agree with half the stuff that I just said in this show. If I can't even speak for my house, how in the world is Bob Huggins speaking for West Virginia University? He's just a flipping basketball coach. He's not even speaking for his entire basketball team. He's just going on the radio and saying something that might be a little bit inarticulate and might be a little bit offensive to some people, by the way, who are both religious or gay. Because arguably it was a religious and a gay slur. But who cares? Who cares at all? Why did we set the presupposition in the first place that a basketball coach's version of what he thinks of a rival school that he used to coach against that he can or cannot say something? Who cares? I think all of you are sitting back and you're kind of sitting around. You're like, why did this presumption ever begin in the first place? No one speaks for anyone but themselves, period. No one should be responsible for anything I say but me. Bob Huggins has apologized for himself. 
Why do we care so much? And why is our society so broken that actual words get people fired and actual actions do not? I just want all of you to think about it. And the analogy with the DUI is a good one. If you're a successful head coach in college athletics or the pros and you get a DUI, you're not going to get fired. But if you say a gay slur on a joking radio interview, you're going to get fired? Does that seem right? Does it seem like we're balancing the equities well here? Because I don't think we are. And I think most of you out there feel and understand this. We should judge actions. We should mostly shrug our shoulders at words. Yet, by and large, we do the exact opposite. I would encourage you to think about why that is the case. Finally, we're going to have Miranda Devine on tomorrow, New York Post. Uh, She's fabulous. She broke the Hunter Biden story in the first place. By the way, actions that Hunter Biden did. Because if we just wanted to focus on words, he used the N-word several different times inside of the Hunter Biden laptop. But I'm more concerned with the illegal payments from Ukraine, with the illegal payments from China, with the tax evasion, with the paying for hookers, the crack use, actual crimes. More concerned with those than with his word choices. Um, But the White House banned the New York Post from being able to cover White House events. I just want to close out today's show by asking you to be consistent and apply precedent evenly. What would happen during the Trump era if Trump had banned the New York Times from covering him? Remember when whatever the loser's name at CNN wasn't able to cover him for one day, how people lost their minds, argued that the First Amendment was under assault, it was an unacceptable move by the Trump White House? How many of those same people have said a word about the New York Post? Just want you to think about it. And why are there so few people who will apply even consistent precedent regardless of where that precedent leads? Because I would submit to you, this is one reason why the OutKick audience is skyrocketing. It's because we are honest and consistent to a large degree. And if we aren't at OutKick, At least I can tell you that I am, which is why my audience is skyrocketing every single day, week, and month. Love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been OutKick, the show.